You may have heard me say once or twice that the mission of Blue Valley is to glorify God by helping people everywhere understand what it means to follow Jesus using the five habits of a Jesus follower, surrender, sustain, sacrifice, shine, and share. You may have also on occasion heard me say that our vision to do this is to become a multiplying church that is establishing campuses locally and planning autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028, which is our 50th anniversary. We adopted that vision statement almost unanimously three years ago now, and today is the most tangible expression that that church planting vision that drives our church is actually happening, because today is Compassion Sunday. It's a day when we as a church family here in Johnson County will get the opportunity to sponsor the 200 children that the church that we are planting in Aldeas Altus, Brazil, Igreja Batista Batel, Bethel Baptist Church, that church has signed up these children to participate in the Compassion Project that our church plant will use as its outreach to the community. But before we get the opportunity to commit to those sponsorships, I think it is an important thing for us to understand the mandate Scripture gives Jesus followers for engaging in this kind of work and the kind of work that we do in Pune, India, and our partnerships, for instance, locally with uh, Mission Southside and a host of other things. So if you would please find Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 in your copy of God's Word. And if you would please stand as we honor the reading of Scripture this morning from Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, you did it as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, Truly I say to you, As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
Now, I feel like having read that text, I need to put everybody's mind at ease. The point of today's message is not to communicate that if you don't sponsor a compassion child, you will go to hell. All right? So let's make sure everybody's calm there. But it is to highlight a key, perhaps the key, biblical metric for determining an authentic follower of Jesus. The text that we just read together is simple enough. In Matthew 24, Jesus has been asked by his disciples what signs would accompany his coming and thus herald the world's end. And Jesus provides those answers in the rest of chapter 24, something called the Olivet Discourse. But it continues in, verse, in chapter 25 with three parables, three short, memorable stories meant to communicate one key truth on how his followers can prepare themselves for his return. In each of these three parables, there is a surprising development in the plot meant to highlight a key truth about being prepared for Christ's return. In the first parable, ten young women are not adequately prepared to welcome the bridegroom to his party and are surprised by his arrival. And the point that Jesus makes with this story is that his followers must stay ready for his return. In the second parable, a businessman going on a journey entrusts three servants with managing part of his estate in his absence. Two of the servants invest And they grow the businessman's estate in his absence. And their faithfulness when he returns is celebrated. But one servant is surprised that the businessman expected anything more than his original investment. So he's done nothing with it. And he is cursed. The point that Jesus makes with this story is that true followers of Jesus understand that being a follower is not simply about receiving salvation, but receiving salvation from Jesus and growing in it. And then we come to our parable. Many who suppose they were followers of Jesus are surprised by the criteria by which Their sincerity of faith is measured at final judgment. So surprised are those gathered, as a matter of fact, that even those who are rewarded eternal life are surprised that this was the criteria that was being used. Let's look at that criteria again. Look at verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me in prison, and you came to me. Now I want you to be real honest with yourself right now. Do those standards for sincerity of faithfulness to Jesus surprise you in any way? My guess is that they probably do because most of us think of morality in personal ways rather than interpersonal ways. In other words, we ask ourselves, do I drink, swear, steal, and lie and go with girls who do? And if I, if I don't do those things, then, hey, I'm sincere. And if I don't do the, if I actually engage in those things, then maybe I have some reason to question my faith. And to be clear, there are standards of personal conduct, personal morality, that are part and parcel with being a sincere follower of Jesus. But a critical eye will reveal that a key 
Perhaps the key metric of being a genuine follower of Jesus is how we relate to others. Take, for instance, the evidence of the Spirit of God's presence in our lives through Jesus that a man named Paul, who God used to write a large portion of the New Testament, including the book of Galatians, Consider the criteria he gives in that book of Galatians of saying, yes, this someone manifests the presence of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. With a possible exception of that last one. Possible exception of that last one. Self-control. Every one of those things that Paul lists deals with how we treat others. The standards for determining the sheep and the goats in Jesus' parable and thus how we treat one another may surprise you because of how heavily weighted they are on those whom society frequently overlooks, the poor. But a critical eye will reveal that a key, perhaps the key metric of being a genuine follower of Jesus is how we relate to the desperately poor. Take, for instance... The words of Jesus' brother, James, in the New Testament book that bears his name. He says in James 2, 14 through 17, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is saying that there is every reason in the world to doubt a claim to faith when a person claiming faith uses an encounter with the desperately poor as an opportunity to do nothing more than virtue signal. Go in peace. Be warm and well-fed, but does nothing to tangibly meet the need. This is a big deal. So where does this emphasis on the poor come from? Well, it comes from the part of the Bible that we know the least about. It comes from the Old Testament. I could take the rest of the day highlighting all of the different Old Testament passages that emphasize the treatment of the poor as a key perhaps the key metric of faithfulness to God. But let me call your attention to just one of them, a place where we find a lot of these references, the book of Psalms. Look at Psalm 99.4. It should be on your screens. The king in his might loves justice. You have equated or you have established equity and you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Now you might immediately be saying, well, wait a minute, I don't see... The word poor there, there's no mention of the poor in that verse. Ah, but there is. And this verse that contains a key, perhaps the key, for the kings of Israel to know whether or not they're ruling wisely, we actually see two words which include the poor, justice and equity. A key, perhaps the key for kings to rule wisely was to make sure the forgotten and mistreated of society were treated by the same standards usually reserved for only the most wealthy. And to execute his, this 
Fairness was to execute righteousness, which means that to show fairness to the poor was to demonstrate what it meant to be in right relationship with God, which is why Jesus is using it as the standard for determining the sheep from the goats. It didn't come out of nowhere. It was fully informed by what he knew of the Old Testament. He's saying that those who are of his kingdom apply a kingdom ethic in how they treat others and in particular how they treat society's outcast. In this parable, Jesus isn't saying that the goats were not sheep because they didn't do these things. That would be to say that salvation is based on good works and not on grace. What Jesus is saying here is that the sheep proved themselves to be sheep by how they treated the marginalized, and the goats proved themselves to be the goats by how they treated the marginalized. Here, though, is the big surprise of this parable. The intensity of the identification of Jesus with the marginalized. Jesus says that to treat or not treat the marginalized fairly was to treat or not treat him fairly. The identification with the marginalized is in fact so strong in this parable that it leads many students of the Bible to conclude that Jesus isn't talking about the world at large, that he's only talking about the marginalized that exist among Jesus' followers. And to be sure, when Jesus commends the sheep, he says that they have treated the least of these my brothers fairly. Jesus only uses words like my brothers when he's talking about his followers. But when he's cursing the goats, he says they stand in judgment because they failed to care for the least of these. There is no my brothers. This leads many students of the Bible, including this student of the Bible, to conclude that Jesus is telling us that he's in some way that I can't explain, that Scripture doesn't explain, encountered in any interaction with the marginalized, and those who are followers of Jesus use it as an opportunity to minister in the name of Jesus in that situation. So he's telling us that how we engage the marginalized is a key, perhaps the key to identifying whether or not we are really one of his, which leads us to the point that Jesus is making in this parable. Those who, incar- who inherit the kingdom later live the kingdom now. Those who inherit the kingdom later live the kingdom now. Here's something that might help you put the puzzle pieces of the Bible together if you're finding how do I relate the New Testament and the Old Testament? How do I relate them together? Well, the New Testament focuses on the king, King Jesus. It, it tells us who he is and what he has done and what we must do in response. The Old Testament focuses on the kingdom the king will reign, the kind of world that the king would rule. It's a world of justice and equity. That's why the 
Kings of Israel and Judah are commanded to rule in justice and equity because they are caretakers of the kingdom until the true king arrives. And as such, they are to rule the world as he would rule. And in the kingdom to come, no one is treated unfairly. No one goes without. That is why we so heavily emphasize Things like food for his glory in Pune, India, and why we have partnerships with, uh, with Mission Southside here locally. It's why we do something in the winter months called Operation Christmas Child. It's why we send uh, people out with uh, send relief to minister in disasters. It's frankly why we should, as followers of Jesus, celebrate the significance of a day like Juneteenth. And it's why we are here today. Compassion. The children and families of Aldeas Altus, Brazil, are among the world's least. Aldeas Altus has a population of 26,000, of whom almost 58% live in poverty by Brazilian standards. The average household income in that region of Brazil is $155 a month, which is far below what Brazil considers minimum wage. So it shouldn't surprise anyone that roughly a fifth of the 40,000 people rescued in Brazil from human trafficking between 2003 and 2017 were born in the state where Aldeas Altus resides. Selling yourself or your child may seem to be the only way out, especially when you're persuaded by smooth-talking human predators. So our little church is surrounded by people who have no earthly hope. Through the Compassion Project, our church plant will seek to change all of that, one child and one family at a time. Compassion children are not orphans. I think a lot of times we, when we see the ads on television, we think that's what it is. They're, they're not orphans by and large. They are children of families in need. And the 200 children that our church plant has registered for the Compassion Project will come to our church plant on multiple days a week, gaining access to food, clean water, medical care, educational opportunities, and most of all, age-appropriate Bible teaching whereby the gospel is presented, the child comes to the gospel, hopefully, and then are taught to grow in it, and then that branches out into their families. Their families are the forgotten piece of this. Compassion volunteers from our church plant will regularly visit the children in their homes, building relationships and sharing the gospel. I've been on those visits in the country of Peru. I've seen the relationships that these church volunteers form. In other words, our church in Aldeas Altus will be doing what churches should be doing being a kingdom outpost in that community, living out a kingdom ethic and calling people to follow our glorious and our gracious king. 